We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hello, my friend. Hey, let me tell you all something. Uh, let me tell y'all, you, 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 you have no idea why Julie is smiling right now because you can't see everything that has gone into our getting to this moment right here in this session. But I still got some good news. Like last week when I was away at an undisclosed location, I came across this website called the Herbivorous Butcher. Now, are you familiar with that, Julie? Uh, yes, I have some of their stuff sitting in my freezer right now. See, that's the problem. The way that you just shook your head, you shook your head like, Torn, I mean, you are a lame for not knowing about the herbivorous butcher. I didn't know about him. I'm a pescatarian and I'm always on the hunt for a better way to dine without like doing the same things over and over and over again. So now that you are, I know you're a customer, mm-hmm. y- you would encourage me to get the starter kit, like invest the 135 and get the starter kit. Well worth it. I don't think there was one thing in there that we didn't like. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, it, then well done. worth it. So as you can see, I'm happy. I'm in a good place. Yeah. No, I'm in a good place. So how are you? Like outside of the smile and the technical difficulties, <laughs> how you doing? Um, fabulous. I'm so excited for God, the second half of 2021, starting a new fiscal year t- today, uh, July 1st, for Disability Solutions. We wrapped up a really great Pride Month at Ability Beyond. My parent company, super proud of them for continuing their work um, in being leaders in diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just for people with disabilities. Um, so, yeah, it's sunny, it's beautiful, and I'm actually also sitting here in evergreen uh network's actual podcast studio so if you don't know torn and i are part of a network and it's called evergreen and so i got to come up to cleveland and actually record in the professional studio which is probably you know unrelated to my technical difficulties well i love that and we have another guest uh this week you know um we'll get to alex in just a moment but before we do that i i just want to say you know thank you to our guest from last week franz uh bertard who works with the uh, Cancer Therapeutic Innovation Center. Like if you missed that episode, I highly encourage you to go to crazyintheking.com and catch the replay because he talked about some of the inequities in healthcare. He talked about them not only from a historical perspective, but even present day. And it was riveting. It was revealing. And, and in some ways a bit disappointing, but in other ways encouraging. And encouraging in the sense, Jay, and I'm sure you would agree, encouraging because we have people like him who are in the conversation and in the fight trying to help us to push forward. So if you missed last week's episode, please go to crazyandtheking.com and catch a quick listen. So, Jay, I saw this uh, article over here on HR Executive, three reasons HR leaders should be measuring inclusion analytics. 
Like we could probably give them 20, right? Yes. And how ridiculously irritating is it that there needs to be an article that says there are three reasons you should be measuring your inclusion analytics. Like for Christ's sake, people measure your inclusion analytics. Just do it. But please give us reasons. Yeah, no. Well, you know, instead of giving the reasons, I mean, we'll put the the link to the article in the show notes. But the reason why I bring it up is because Stacia Gar is quoted in the article. She may have even written the article, but she talks about some of the data that she found over at Red Thread Research. And they do a great job of compiling DEIB related data as well as some other data. But the two pieces that really stood out uh, in the recent article that she wrote was number one, Companies are approaching inclusion analytics in two ways, perceived and objective analytics. And basically what she's saying is that some of the the former, the perceived is data collected directly from employees versus the latter, which is the objective. It's data that is coming from, you know, what's happening, like what's actually happening, not how a person is feeling, but really looking at what is actually happening. And she said that some of the interesting ways uh, that companies are measuring inclusion through data is looking at well-being data, succession lists, analyzing response time and tone in emails and invitation rates to meetings. I swear I almost jumped out of my office because I looked at all of those things and I'm saying to myself, like, these are just common like this. This is just common good business. If I send you a freaking email, answer it like it shouldn't Mm -hmm. take you a week. You shouldn't ignore it. You should be able to respond in a relatively short period of time. Like invite me to the meeting. What? Right, Jay? I mean, like, how would it look if 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 we're doing crazy in the king and I don't send you the calendar invite with the link? Like, just include me in the things that I should be. Is that too, too hard to ask? Like, why are we doing this in 2021? Well, I mean, but I, I think that we know when people are not answering emails, when they are terse in their tone, when we see that people are accessing more mental health services, or we see increases in absenteeism and all of those things, it's because there's something out of whack, whether that's a work issue, whether it's a work-life balance issue, or it's a it's a life issue. Yes, we should all answer our emails and we should all do good um, and, and be responsive to each other. And that's good practice. But if our head's in a bad place, if we're done being maybe used and abused or feeling that way by our company, those things are going to change. And those behaviors are, are telling. They, I will say they are not the things that... I thought that we were going to go with on this conversation. Like I was more thinking around retention and internal mobility and um, development rather than feeling like people are analyzing the tone and tenor of my email. That's, that's a issue that feels a little funky. So I always wonder, are we looking at the right things and are we looking at them with the right lens? Because I'm not sure that these types of things are going to be, some of them are, right? Well-being data, absolutely. Successionless, absolutely. Some of the other things, more nuanced and maybe even uh, feeling a little more intrusive into a lack of privacy in our workplaces already. Yeah, well, so speaking of, you know, reboots um, and surveys, um, Elyria actually dropped a uh, study, 19,000 
HBR folks. Actually, HBR dropped the report. Illyria just covered it in their newsletter. But uh, HBR or Harvard Business Review surveyed 19,000 individuals to find out what sets inclusive organizations apart. And when they say apart, inclusive organizations apart from non-inclusive organizations. And the researchers found that some of the key traits that organizations learn uh, were around oriented culture that supports flexibility and open-mindedness, and that leaders who want to build this culture should provide feedback uh, and acknowledge team members for their contribution. Yet again, I, I, I asked the question, uh, and I am not begrudging the reports, the surveys, but when I read them, I feel like we are, I feel like we are reiterating just common practices of being professional, of being a great leader, of showing that you care about your team. You're providing them with discipline, with uh, development, mm-hmm. with inspiration, with support, with resources with a trajectory of, 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 of possibility. Like, I feel like these are the things that every leader should bring to the equation. And, and, and if they don't bring it, do I need to get it from HBR? Like, or should I be getting it from my, uh, am I being too cynical? No, you're being a realist, right? I I mean, I, I think you're, you're being a realist and it, is so much of, I think, the frustration that you and I experience on the regular is just the reiteration of the basics. And that's why we're not moving forward in meaningful ways. And we've got to get past the basics to really get to inclusive organizations that are impactful and have employees who are well cared for and well supported as they monetize for the company. Yeah, which leads me to, you know, this week, I don't have a quote. I'm just going to ask a question and then we're going to go to uh, our job vite ad so we can get to our special guest. But my question this week in lieu of a quote is, what are you willing to do to interrupt the current version of you? What are you willing to do to interrupt the current version of you. Let's hear from Jobvite. Okay, okay, real quick. Jobvite is taking you on a TA road trip all summer long during the Summer to Evolve road trip. That was a little bit redundant, but the bottom line is they are rocking this eight-week series of educational content designed specifically for TA and recruiting professionals just like you and I. Each and every week, There'll be three short sessions aimed at helping you to hone your skills, helping you to improve existing processes and inspire new ideas from some of the greatest minds in TA. You'll explore topics such as building talent pools to support rapid hiring, the TA metrics driving business outcomes, and leveraging recruitment technology to help you find and hire top talent faster. Got to quickly mention, great prizes, fun road trip games, and exciting surprises. You can get all of that if you start mapping out your road trip journey today at jobvite.com forward slash summer. Again, that is jobvite.com forward slash summer. All right. Welcome back. I have to tell you, Torin, I am so excited about our guest this week. We have been so lucky this month to have such amazing guests. And 
Alex is going to uh, to to kick off July for us, and um, so I just want to first of all welcome Alex Aru. And Alex, correct me if I said that wrong, because I forgot to ask you before we started. It's close enough. It actually is a tricky name, even in Spanish. Um, Alex, I'm Alex Orue. It, it's like a, it's from the Basque country in Spain, so it's it, it's even tricky in in, <laughs> in Spanish. So don't worry. Thank you so much for for the invitation. I'm the the global coordinator. Of, uh, the coordinator of the global program at It Gets Better Project and the executive director at It Gets Better Mexico. And I'm calling from Mexico in Merida, the peninsula, the Yucatan Peninsula uh, over here. So thank you for the invitation. So Alex, you know, I'm just going to jump in real quick. I just want you to know, I, I just typed in O-R-A-Y so we don't get it wrong for the remainder of the show. <laughs> yes. So welcome, Alex O'Ray to Crazy and the King. And I have to tell you, I'm. I, we chatted about this for just a second before we started. Um, all of our listeners know that that my youngest son is gay. He's been out of the closet, uh, I don't know, since seventh grade, maybe sixth grade um, officially. And probably five or six years ago, I heard, I think the founder of the It Gets Better initiative uh, on MSNBC, on Morning Joe, CNN. And as a parent... It felt me. It felt to me like just saying it gets better gave me an entire arsenal of best practices of things that I could use with my son that I had never formalized before. I had never kind of put into words that this childhood and and the adolescence of and the challenges of coming out and dealing with people who are closed minded. Um, it really revived me. He's been connected with the initiative. He's been engaged with with you guys, with the Trevor Project. And I just think it's such outstanding work. And so thank you for the work that you do. But if people are not as familiar with It Gets Better as I am, um, tell us a little bit more about the organization, about how you got connected and, and the amazing work that you do. Thank you. Well, uh, it, first of all, it's very inspiring and moving to hear that uh, our mission has been close to your family um, in, in this past couple of years, because uh, it's precisely that what we want to do and what we're all about to to share hope with LGBTQ youth and help families and even teachers to to really not be afraid of inclusion and diversity when it comes to LGBTQ people, especially youth. Uh, so at They Gets Better Project, we actually, we just turned 10 years as an organization last September. And uh, we started um, sharing stories of LGBTQ people in benefit of LGBTQ youth, because back then uh, there was a wave of a lot of bullying and um, even deaths by suicide by LGBTQ youth because they felt isolated. And as a movement, really, the, the LGBTQ movement, I think we hadn't reached out or, or worked uh, closely in an organized way with, uh, with youth because um, for the longest time, every time an LGBTQ adult has a conversation with or about youth, we are accused of the worst. So uh, it, it really took us a long time to try to close that bridge and, and get closer to younger generations. 
And the internet, social media especially, um, made that happen because now we didn't have, um, we, we didn't need the, the permission of families or, or schools to talk to LGBTQ youth. We could do that through YouTube, through Facebook, through Twitter. And now, 10 years later, we see that obviously social media is very much uh, with us and with youth. Uh, TikTok and so many other technologies are different ways of getting closer uh, to them to share not only hope, but also the information that they need uh, and the support that they need. Um, maybe we, we are not the, the resource that they in particular are in the need right now about mental health services, but we can connect them to those that are close to them uh, in many places around the world, not just in the U.S. So we are part of a network of 20 affiliates around the world mostly in Europe and in Latin America. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's been an incredible journey. And I, I started back then as, as an intern for someone that was close to the project. And uh, I was part of the first wave of videos, uh, testimonials that uh, were contributed to the project. And back then I was in, in Vancouver going to college and my videos turned out to be the first ones made outside of the U.S. And because I did one in Spanish because I'm from Mexico, uh, that was the first one made in another language other than English. So my videos became essays and were part of the It Gets Better book um, that became a bestseller in the New York Times list. And ever since I've been involved in some way or another, and now I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm also the, the executive director at It Gets Better Mexico. And uh, it, we are like a huge network of over 350 volunteers around the world. So it's, it's really an army. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Alex, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you, when you think of, um, being a part of the LGBTQ IAA community, it, it looks different in the various countries where you all have representation, where you have content and programming. And and I'm wondering, you know, I, I believe that your current role is the global programming manager or programming coordinator. And so maybe you can share with our listeners how you navigate developing programming in some countries versus other countries, how you sidestep some of the challenges and the resistance there or in those places versus other areas where you have full latitude, full support, just seems like you have a, a bigger canvas to do what it is that needs to be done. Excellent question. I think um, in the, our solution, in a way, it's not really to impose like a structure or something or, or, or our own solutions into any country. It's just a matter of partnering with local activists and organizations because they understand better the context in their own region. So our global affiliate network, it's, it's actually independent organizations uh, from those two, uh, 20 countries so far. And, um, what we've done is that we see that they gets better uh, name, the branding itself. It's it's very powerful and, and recognizable around the world. Uh, so we try to leverage that into each each one of those countries. So those organizations that become affiliates can use our name 
to, to do the work that they need to do uh, in the ground, tell stories of LGBTQ people locally, to develop uh, educational efforts locally. So it, it's not really to impose the American way <laughs> of doing things. It's, it's really taking advantage of the platform they, that They Get Better Project has and the, and the name. So locally, we can find the solutions and tell and uplift, especially stories of LGBTQ people around the world. Precisely, there are some countries where we are present in, like in Russia. We have an affiliate in Russia. And uh, maybe you know about this, but uh, the government over there, it's very hostile towards LGBTQ people. So, but that doesn't mean that the work that we do cannot be done. To the contrary, I think that's where our message of hope is mostly needed and is precisely where we want to expand our network. In Russia, uh, we are growing uh, a lot in Latin America. Uh, we have an affiliate in India and uh, we, we are looking forward to, to do more expansion work in, in Southeast Asia and uh, in Africa as well. We, we are looking into those regions as well. So let me let, let's stay there for just a moment. When we when we talk about the difficulty of programming in Russia, even though there is resistance, maybe you can share one or two ways that you are able to sidestep that. Because again, I know that we have some listeners who just on the perimeter of LGBTQ issues and and whatnot. So they're afraid to even say LGBTQ. They're afraid to even put it on their website. And mind you, we have an audience of primarily professionals, but certainly there could be some lay people, community people listening. How do you handle that programming when there is that resistance? Well, I think it's I, I, I would have to to give credit to our local partners in in those countries where we have affiliates, because like in Russia, for example, at the beginning, the strategy was to do a lot of captioning and translating things into Russian from other parts of the world because we recognized that probably was going to be a little difficult to tell stories of LGBTQ Russians in Russia. Uh, so at the beginning, we just wanted to make as accessible as possible in their language the, the many great content that we've produced, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And, but soon... But soon enough, actually, It Gets Better Russia has been able to find those people that are willing to, to share their stories and, and share hope. So it's, it, it's actually very uh, inspiring to see how even in those circumstances, in those countries where the, the context, it's, it's very hostile, there's always someone, there's always a community that is willing to, to show up and, and be visible and, and, and stand for the LGBTQ rights. So uh, actually, It Gets Better Russia is one of the countries, it's, it's one of our, uh, the affiliates that produce, produces more stories around the, uh, our network. So that's pretty impressive. I, we never uh, really expected that at the beginning, but we're super, super happy about that. And in other countries, the strategy might be a little different. Uh, but it's always uh, looking for those partnerships that could make our work a little easier. So whether that's working with the U.S. Embassy in that country or working with the U.N., right, or other um, 
international organizations, there's always someone in the ground locally and allies that have presence globally that are willing to support those efforts. And especially when it comes to storytelling, uh, I think we didn't invent storytelling at all, obviously, but uh, the way we do it, uh, people are always very eager to to join forces and 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 add their voice and story to to our platform. So all, it it's really actually not that difficult for people to trust in our mission and and share their stories, which I think it's a lot. Like asking people to tell their stories. Sometimes it's it, you're telling sometimes things that are very pers- personal, very intimate, and and even traumatic in some cases. But the the idea here is to um, try to pivot the message of hope and and say like even though I've gone through this, I'm doing this, or I found this network, or I found this chosen family that helped me through these tough times, and and kind of just show the many ways that people LGBTQ people are are able to to you know. Uh, find and 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 live through and and succeed even so that's it's it's always uh, a matter of sh- of finding the silver lining and and sharing oh, hope. And I love you have a global strategy that's locally implemented, right? That's I think so critical when we think about advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion work outside of the U.S. is that it doesn't have to be, and to be successful, it's not going to be. The American way. And I think that especially our professional listeners need to hear that um, as they spread diversity um, initiatives outside of, of their U.S. borders. So, and you mentioned something that I think is so touching to my heart is when people tell their stories, when they talk on camera about who they are authentically and the place and the challenges that they've been through to get to the place that they are. Um, you've been through that, right? You were one of the the first um, for the Gets Better project. It Gets Better project. So, you know, kind of, if you don't mind, walk us through what deciding to tell your story meant to you and, and what empowered you. Was it someone in your life? Was it just your own internal courage that decided, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go out big um, and, and talk to my story so that everyone else who's younger than me or, or my peer knows that we're going to get through this one way or the other and we're going to get through it together. Yeah, well, actually, I think what prompted me to joining the Gets Better Project at the beginning was my own journey. I, I, I'm from Mexico, uh, as, as many people know or can imagine, it's, it's a very conservative culture, very religious, very Catholic in most cases. And my family, it's it's not exception. So even though I've always felt loved by my family, there's always the fear of being rejected if you come out as LGBTQ. So by the time I, I, I came of age to go to college, I, I was fortunate enough that it's also uh, like... Not many people are able to do that, but it's a very common experience that for LGBTQ people, in order to survive or to, um, you know, just flourish beyond the, the, the rejection they could probably find at home, we 
migrate to other places. We go to other big city, right? So in my case, I, I was from a big city, but I never saw someone like myself, not even in television. Um, and this is like a little over 10 years ago, but uh, even though we already have the internet, uh, there wasn't something that made it closer to me, my community. Um, so I, I was fortunate enough to go to college in Vancouver. And that's like light years ahead in terms of acceptance to the LGBTQ community compared next to where I came from. So uh, it, it was a cultural shock, uh, but it was what I needed. And uh, I found Anika's Better Message through books that I found, literature, LGBTQ books uh, that, that was available to me. And once, uh, actually, my mom asked me over, over Skype uh, if I was gay and um, I couldn't lie anymore. And I, I came out of the closet to her in that way. And two days later, I did that the same with, with my father. And I actually, my fears were really on, on base in a way. Like they accept me right away and they, they made sure that I knew that I was supported and loved, but that I knew that the experience was, again, privileged because that's not the same for many LGBTQ people. So I actually, once I came out of the closet to them and I saw that in my case, it was fine, <laughs> that mostly my, my issues were internally, were personal, were, were spiritual, were, you know, many things we uh, internalize as LGBTQ people. Uh, so I decided... Uh, once the Gets Better project started, that that actually could be a good idea to to come out of the closet to everyone else in my family, in, in my life, family and friends back home. Um, so I did that just to get rid of that and not do the the talk to anyone else. <laughs> um, and 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 also I I thought that uh, the Gets Better project it was pretty much needed in my country as well. And so that's how uh, I got involved. And once I was fortunate enough to go back to Mexico and 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 be part of the Gets Better project in Mexico, there was a lot of things to do ahead to to get to where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, and speaking of right now, you know, Alex, when you share that piece, that incredible data point of I came out to my mom first, I came out to my father second, but the most important thing you said was that internally it was a struggle that that once you released yeah. that off of your shoulders, you reflected and said, wait a minute, more of the challenge was with me. And so I'm wondering when we think about all of the 300 plus volunteers that are a part of It Gets Better, you all leveraging workplace through Facebook, keeping that culture there, creating new culture being supportive of people. W what are people saying around the country? Are they having these revealing moments? Are they sharing these revealing moments through the workplace platform? Uh, just kind of talk about that a little bit, because I think that that's extremely, extremely important that you overcame the struggle internally. Absolutely. I think it is a common experience in the LGBTQ uh, community that those journeys of self-acceptance and, and self-love, especially, it, it, it kind of starts once 
do come out of the closet. It, it, it doesn't finish there. It doesn't end there. It, it's probably just the beginning of a long journey. And definitely learning from um, the many colleagues that we have at It Gets Better uh, in those 20 countries, it's been very beneficial because even though our each country's context could be a little different from each other, at, at the same time, our experiences are not that different. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Workplace uh, uh, from Facebook. It's actually when we started using that platform, uh, before that, I, I actually, I, I remember we were just doing a lot of emails and, and uh, video calls and, um, and we would use other, other platforms. So we were kind of scattered, uh, like spread around and just not very focused on, on, on sharing in, in real time and organized uh, in an organized way as, as we could, could have done uh, at the beginning. But once we started using Workplace, it became a lot easier because uh, even though obviously we have different time zones, different countries, different languages, even we have our, our, uh, in our network, there's at least six languages that our network speaks. So that accessibility is key when you are a global organization. And having Workplace, which is pretty familiar in, in the layout of, of the platform. If you use Facebook, you love you would love uh, Workplace. Uh, it's pretty similar, but it, it, it has a lot of uh, specific tools that will help your organization be on top of things, whether that's like uh, uh, meetings notes or you're scheduling an event or you're sharing uh, like a webinar or something. And we have different groups in, in our workspace on Workplace uh, for, for each one of the countries. But also we have all the social media teams in one group in, in specific because that's where they can share what they're doing and learn from each other. We have another group for directors and executive directors. And that's really great because that's where also directors get to, you know, learn from each other and also uh, share questions that probably uh, are very hard to ask someone else in, in their countries. So sometimes this peer-to-peer -peer relation, is, it's a little tough uh, when it comes to civil society in other countries. But having um, a group that it's specifically to, to that uh, group of people, uh, the leaders of, of the network, it's very valuable because, it, I mean, that's where the 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 conversations of where the gets better project globally should go right like what what are the priorities where what's missing what we could do better that's where those conversations happen um and because we are primarily social um the 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 group the social media uh group on workplace it's very dynamic because you get to see the many ideas, the many uh, talents that our, our network has and, and really learn from each other and, and do better in terms of uh, distributing better our content. Because we know our content is good. We know, we, we know how to do storytelling uh, for our mission. 
but uh, distribution sometimes it's difficult, uh, especially because social media changes a lot and demographics move. And now Gen Z are more present in some uh, platforms in specific than in others. And, and th- those conversations, those questions and looking out and, and sharing what's working for me in Russia or what's working for me in India or in Colombia that in having those reflections and conversations on workplace, it's really, it's gold. Uh, I mean, th- there's no better school in, in a way. Um, so so we're, we're super happy that uh, we get to leverage this huge, huge team of 350 people from around the world, very diverse from all identities, uh, many nationalities, six languages, and having everyone express themselves in, in, in whatever way they they wished because they they shouldn't try to you know type everything in english if they speak greek they they can't uh write things in greek and the platform just translates things if it's needed if if, if you need it right so it's very important to be accessible as, as accessible as possible and i think one of the the, the key elements of why they get spare project has been successful so far Globally, it's because of tools like Workplace. That's uh, that's amazing, Alex. I know that we have to wrap up, but I'm hoping you will agree to join us again later in the year. I'd love to have you on just to talk about some of the t- uh, challenges, especially in the U.S., that we're seeing around transgender youth. And I know that can be a whole conversation. Um, and and we thank you so much for the work that you do. Hope to have you back. Thank you so much. Drop his handles. Drop his handles. Drop them handles. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And of course, I'll 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 be back uh, whenever you have me. I, I had so much fun talking to you, and thank you for uh, uplifting uh, in your platform our our mission. And you can find Alex on Twitter at Alex A L E X underscore O R U E, and the same on Instagram. And you can find It Gets Better at It Gets Better. Dot org. So check awesome. it out. Donate, volunteer, be a part. Awesome. 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 Hey, so look, quick mention. I joined the board of Get Optimal, excited to be a part of the organization and trying to help them shape their product and service offering in the HR tech space. Uh, so Dan Fellows and the rest of the Get Optimal team out of London. It's a good look there. Also want to remind you all that uh, we are a trusted supporter of the How to Be an Ally Summit which is happening later this year in October. Our dear friend Deanna Singh is uh, coordinating that event. Again, it's the How to Be an Ally Summit. And the discount code, if you go out and purchase a ticket, is C-A-T-K-A-L-I-10. That's C-A-T-K-A-L-I-1-0. Any name drops, Jay? Um, just to Miss Noemi from comms at Workplace by Facebook for these amazing guests that she has hooked us up and the incredible time that she's given us over the past couple of months um, to get amazing people like Alex and Franz here. Shout out to Noemi. We're not going to drop her last name. We ain't putting the full government out there, but we absolutely appreciate Noemi. And my name drop this week goes to Mr. Michael Heller, who rocks with me on Clubhouse every Friday at 5 p.m. Now, listen, some folks have said, Torin, that's the worst time in the world to be trying to do Clubhouse. 
because it's Friday at 5 p.m. But that's what it is. Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. I close reminding each and every one of you to be a better human and to share the pod with your digital tribe. Julie and I are just as committed today, probably even more so than we were even three years ago when we started Crazy and the King. We just want to see you all build better teams, build better businesses, be better humans. And for now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.